hello! Welcome to a signed and numbered edition of The Horror Collector. I'm your host, angel to some, demon to others, bowed fitty fitty to most. I'm Terry M. West, also known as the hardest working horror author you've never heard of. This episode, we're going to take a look back at the gruesome goodness, the warped workings, the depraved distribution of Eerie Publications and their horror comic magazine line. It's a bloody trip down memory lane, so put on a hazmat suit and watch your step. And as you can see on the horror rack, I'm ready to boogie like the boogeyman. Now that's coming in our last segment. We're going to kick things off with the collector spotlight, but before we get there, watch this video and see how you... Yes, you can be a part of the show. Well, hello, I'm Terry M. West, the host of the Horror Collector Podcast. If you have a horror collectible or collection you'd love to share with the world, send it my way. Go to my website, terrymwest.com, and go to the Horror Collector section. If you can send me well-lit pictures and videos, I would love to feature them. Please read the details before you send it, and let's see what you got. Welcome to the Collector Spotlight. Today, we're going to check out a clip from Benjamin Dutill. Now, Benjamin's the host of the South Jersey Horror Podcast, and he sent us a clip of his horror cave. There's a lot of cool stuff in there, so let's go check it out. Wow, what a great collection Benjamin has. I'm really jealous of that Curse of Michael Myers banner. Man, wouldn't that look great in the Fortress of Horror Toot? Thanks for the tour, Benjamin. Now, if you haven't listened to the South Jersey Horror Podcast, Benjamin, or the Horror Hound as he's known, covers everything from movie reviews to shocking true events, the paranormal, the supernatural, it's a fantastic podcast with a variety of dark topics. We're going to take a quick break, so check out the spot I made for Benjamin, and go and subscribe. And tell him the Horror Collector sent you, okay? <laughs> hey, Horror Freaks, check out the South Jersey Horror Podcast. Listen to it on Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. 
Prepare to scream forever. Howie Payne and Nick Enlow work the midnight shift at Big Carl's Video Transfer and Media Services. An odd AVI clip begins to appear in their public drive on a nightly basis. At first, Howie and Nick think it's a serialized art house horror film someone on the day shift is sending them in secret. As the clips progress, however, the now obsessed duo discovers something deeper and darker in the videos. Horror author Terry M. West would like to introduce you to The Green Room and its primary occupant, the Screamer. Transfer is a novella of absolute horror by me, Terry M. West. You can buy it in ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook format exclusively on Amazon.com. Well, okay, it's time to show off some of my stuff. The very first thing I'm going to show off is this vintage Return of the Living Dead paperback. This came out in 1978. It was published by Dale Books. It's, uh, it's signed. I actually uh, picked this up at a bookstore. And uh, I don't know who Craig is, but I was thrilled to find this at a used bookstore signed by Russo, even if my name's not Craig. Now, if you think the story contained in this book is the same as the one in the famous Dan O'Bannon uh, adaptation think again I'm gonna read the back book description here the dead have risen again and now the horror is worse than ever before a bus turns over in a quiet American town and soon the entire country is filled with death and terror as corpses rise from their graves in search of human flesh to eat no one is safe from these super strong creatures, and it seems as though a whole country could die in a bath of blood and horror. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and as you can tell, that's nothing like the, uh, the Dan O'Bannon uh, film version. Now, there's a reason for that. Now, when, a, when O'Bannon agreed um, to direct Return of the Living Dead, he insisted that the zombies be nothing like the ones portrayed in Night of the Living Dead. Now, this is because... George Romero and John Russo, who both created Night of the Living Dead, parted their creative ways. And one of the things in the agreement when they decided to pursue their own projects was that Russo had the rights to the term Living Dead in any title. So again, when O'Bannon decided to do this, he wanted the zombies to be completely different from the ones Romero had done, which is why the zombies in O'Bannon's film, they're smart, they're fast, um, they get on the radio and call for more cops and paramedics, and the brain-eating. It's a brilliant film. It's a great horror comedy. It's got a, a hellacious death metal and punk rock soundtrack, you know? A classic. And there's a kind of a meta moment in there because they actually reference Night of the Living Dead as a film that was based on events that led to Return of the Living Dead. I do have to say though, as much as I love Return of the Living Dead, I think Russo's vision would have made a really compelling film too. You know, it's very dark, it's very downbeat, it's more in line with, uh, with what Night of the Living Dead was. Now the book was reissued on Amazon maybe a year or two ago. And um, it exists on ebook, paperback and I believe an audiobook version is out there as well but I will tell you if you're a living deadhead you gotta get your claws on this book now the next item I want to show off is this original painting it served as the cover for my horror anthology comic uh, blood for the muse 
It was released in uh, 1997. The stories revolved around the actual uh, muse of tragedy, how she caused all these horrific tales to occur. This was penciled by Steve Ellis and painted by Stu Nowak. And it just floored me when the guy sent me this for approval. I mean, I was just crazy about it. And, uh, you know, Blood for the Muse, it did fairly well for an uh, independent comic. So the comic ran for four issues and featured such artists as, like I mentioned, Steve Ellis, Stu Nowak, Jamal Igle, Ryan Dunleavy, and the incredibly immensely talented and popular Glenn Chadbourne. Around 1999 to 2000, I believe, we actually adapted Blood for the Muse to a uh, black and white horror film. Um, and it's actually available on Amazon uh, Prime. Admittedly, it's a lo-fi shot on video production, so don't expect Spielberg. But if you feel a little sinister urge to give a little blood to the muse, go to Prime and rent it. Okay, and the last item I'm going to show you today, it's not particularly expensive. It's not really vintage, but I love it all the same. It's this uh, Funko Pop 2019 Summer Convention Limited Edition figure of the Man-Thing. Man, I am a huge Man-Thing fan. And uh, he's one of my favorite characters from the uh, Bronze Marvel Horror Age. I mean, just really dig him. And I followed him since his very first appearance in Savage Tales number one. Um, I collected all of his appearances in Fear Magazine, which was his first story arc. I also collected to from beginning to end his first two uh, solo series from uh, the Bronze to um, Copper Age. And remember, whatever knows fear burns at the Man-Thing's touch. Well, okay, that's all I have to show you for my collection this episode. We're going to take a brief pause for the cause, and when we come back, we're going to take a grew bath in bad taste in our Eerie Publications main segment. Ooh. Weirdsmith is a weird horror magazine that spotlights a different author every issue. Check out some brand new weird fiction from authors such as Hunter Shea, Tim Meyer, Carrie E.B. Black, Robin Dover, D.S. Sullery, Sean Hupp, and others. Available on Amazon.com in Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. Get weird. Get Weirdsmith. The mid-60s to early 80s was a golden age for the black and white horror magazine format. With the introduction of the Comic Code Authority, Traditional horror comics weren't allowed to exist as they had before. Presenting them in magazine format avoided many of the restrictions that a lot of comic publishers were facing. Warren Publishing was the king of magazine-sized black and white newsstand horror. Warren found a great deal of success with their magazines Eerie, Creepy, and Vampirella. Not as well known, but definitely as gruesome, if not more so, was Eerie Publications. Eerie Publications was run by Myron Foss. Myron produced many different types of magazines in just about every genre on the newsstand. His magazines covered softcore pornography, true crime, professional wrestling, and horror comics. His Eerie line published several titles, including Horror Tales, Strange Galaxy, Tales from the Tomb, Tales of Voodoo, Terror Tales, Terrors of Dracula, Weird, Weird Worlds, and Witches Tales. The Eerie publication magazines are known for some of the most notorious cover images ever committed to horror magazines. Now, when I show these video packages at the top of a segment, it's to help people who might not be as familiar with the topic 
as us horror vets. As always, I point those interested in learning more about the topic to the best places to do that. Now, one of the best places for Erie Publications is a website called From Zombo's Closet. It's a blog and he has a magazine section that has extensive scans of many Erie Publication issues and covers. Also, hop on Amazon and pick up Mike Howlett's The Weird World of Erie Publications, comic gore that warped millions of young minds for the behind the scenes story of Myron Foss, the mysterious comic publisher. In March, Fantico Publishing will be putting out Mike Howlett's Erie Publications, the complete covers the whole bloody mess. This is 240 pages of every disgusting cover known in full color. I know I'm grabbing a copy and you can pre-order one yourself. And do yourself a huge favor and visit the website of Jason Willis. Jason is a Sundance winning multimedia professional living in Tucson, Arizona. He specializes in video and motion graphics and he's done these phenomenal animated versions of the actual art from Erie Publications. Definitely go check them out. Okay, we're gonna jump back into the Wayback Machine and go all the way back to 1978. Your host here was a 13-year-old horror junkie, and I just couldn't get strong enough horror in my life. I tried them all. Warren, Stanley, Skywald, Curtis, but I was always looking for that next horror high. I was looking for the stuff you had to ask the newsstand employee for. You know, the stuff they hid under the counter. Now this is about the time I discovered Eerie Publications. The main consensus today is that they were a pretty grade Z company and most of the people that worked on their titles were considered uh, comic hacks who didn't even use their real names. Man. I'd bring these magazines home and they'd last in my room maybe a day or two before my mom would just find them and just toss them right into the trash. It got to the point where I'd have to check the garbage cans outside just to make sure that my new mags weren't buried under rubbish. I'd have stood a better chance of keeping those magazines if I had hidden them in the covers of a Playboy because that my mother would have understood. She would have thought that was natural. But when she saw these disgusting comic covers, she was like, I don't think so. But honestly, my mother didn't even have to bother after a while. I got really sick of the Erie Pub magazines because they were recycling the same stories and cover art over and over again. I mean, I would plunk down my hard-earned 60 cents only to bring this thing home and realize, hey, I've already read all these stories. These magazines disappeared from the market for decades. A couple of years ago, I saw that they kind of popped up again and I started buying them for nostalgia's sake, if nothing else. I mean, really the only reason to collect them are the covers, but those covers are just, oh. So I'm gonna show you a few of my favorite copies and then I'm gonna tell you what's on my Erie Publications bucket list. The first one I'm gonna show off is this copy of Weird. This is volume two, number eight a very, very iconic cover of a, uh, of a ghoul or a hunchback ghoul or whatever, uh, pulling a uh, zombie or vampire zombie um, out of the grave. Then there's this one, which is Tales of Voodoo, volume three, number six. And if you can look in the back there, there's a, uh, there's a corpse with her uh, head cut off. 
and um, it looks like maybe the uh, the uh, person there or the ghoul or the witch or whatever um, is uh, considering, hey, which head am I going to pop on there? You know, whichever one it is, it's not going to be a pretty sight. Now, this copy of Horror Tales, volume two, number one, is actually my best condition copy. It's a solid, very fine. And I'm going to tell you, you don't find many of these in really great shape. I mean, these pages got worked out. I mean, it's very hard to find these in, in really high, high grade. But I was very happy to get this one. And now when you look at it at first glance, it looks like somebody just got cut in half and their entrails and everything are, are spilling out. But when you look a little closer, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's a robot. It's fine. Now, here's a pretty nice high-end copy I have of uh, Terror Tales. This is volume six, number six. And uh, now here's something they did, and I always wondered about this, but if you look on the cover, there were uh, many times that it was monsters like killing monsters, like these are werewolves attacking this vampire and the mummy's ready to stake her. I mean, maybe she owed them all money, I don't know. But what was really cool about this, I do remember like at times when my mother would find these and say, that's terrible, look what they're doing to that poor lady. And I would say, no, Ma, look, she's a vampire. It's not, she's a vampire. It's okay if they, if they kill her. And she'd be like, oh, okay, I, I guess, you know. So you could kind of use that as a little bit of a justification. But as you're about to see with these next two, they were indefensible. Here is a copy of Horror Tales, volume five, number one. And, uh, you know, it's not just that this woman's like getting chomped on by the vampire there. I mean, look, look at these damn, I think they're beetles, maybe. Look at that. I mean, come on. But this was the cover that would really get me in trouble, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid. Because I couldn't, I couldn't chalk this up to, well, you know, hey, you know, she's a, you know, she's a vampire. She's a ghost, whatever. She's a ghoul. It's okay. I, no, this is a poor, innocent woman. Well, as far as we know. Okay, now I'm going to show you the grossest cover that I own, personally. And it's up there and when you see this thing grab it especially if you can get it for a good deal because i've seen it go for as high as 110 to 150 bucks my copy's not that great but uh but i still got it for a pretty sweet deal this is weird volume three number five and uh yeah 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 this is a poor innocent uh maiden being uh fed through a meat grinder so yeah 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 that's uh yeah that's pretty bad this would have gotten me grounded for probably a, uh, a good solid month for having this hidden between the Playboy pages. <laughs> now, as far as my bucket list, there are a couple I'd really love to get my hands on. The first one would be the very first issue of Weird. It was actually numbered number 10, but it was actually number one. Some of the publishers used to do this trick back in the day where they would number a premiere issue a higher number to fool the newsstand person into thinking, oh, well, this thing's been out for a while, so it must have an audience. I will display it in the front. What was really cool about volume one, number 10, Weird, was that the cover wasn't even finished. I mean, Myron was in such a rush to get out there and compete with Warren and all the other guys that he was like, oh, it's good enough. Let's just go to the print. Come on, we got to get it out there. <laughs> you got to love that. And my next most sought after item, and it's one that everybody's looking for and you're going to pay a pretty penny for it. It's Terror Tales Volume 1, Number 8. Probably the most infamous cover of all time. Just so wrong. But don't worry, 
Don't worry, those victims of his, they're vampires. He's chomping down on vampires, so it's okay. Now, what's really funny is that I had put one more eerie publication title on my bucket list, and then I found it. I actually got a great deal and purchased it and received it yesterday. So it's no longer on my bucket list. It's uh, actually um, Tales from the Crypt, volume one, number 10, which of course means it was number one. It's the only issue that uh, Erie Publications did under that title. And it's pretty obvious why. I mean, it's pretty much a big ripoff of uh, EC Comics, even with the old Crohn's Crypt. Um, I, don't, I can't say for sure, but I have a feeling that maybe William Gaines or somebody said, hey, can't do that. Now, this isn't the greatest shape. It's a split in a little bit at the, at the spine and everything. But man, I got such a sweet deal for this. I'm talking 25 bucks. And I've seen copies in this condition go for about 100 bucks. So very, very happy to, uh, to get my hands on it. Well, okay, that's it for this episode. I'm about to head out. I, I think things went really well. So we'll start digging up the parts we need to stitch together a new episode. But in the meantime, remember, horror collectibles can be a scary business. Mm -hmm.